Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. reached a stage of Exodus uh, where we're going to be looking at the Passover. But in Exodus, uh, the Passover is covered from chapters 11 to 13, and there's two kind of big ideas woven together, both the historical events that happened in that Exodus, but also the remembrance of it for future generations. Uh, And that's just quite a lot to cover uh, in one in one sitting. So what we're going to do is we're going to take it, um, tonight we're going to be looking at kind of the historical events and then next week we'll be thinking more about the remembrance. We're going to take this reading in two chunks and we will miss a bit, but don't worry, we'll come back to it next time, okay? So um, we're going to read now uh, chapter 11 verse 1 to 12 verse 13 and then just before I come to preach in a moment we'll read uh, 12, 21 to 41. Um, And then next week we'll come to the rest of chapter 12 and 13. So let's listen to this wonderful, extraordinary event of God's words to us together. Let's listen. Chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, At about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel." either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, 
when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select the lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. When you come to this land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord 
went out from the land of Egypt. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I, I love films that kind of have new beginnings in them, you know, about someone experiencing something in the past and then moving forward, kind of finding a new start, uh, a new break. Um, perhaps you've seen that old film, uh, Goodwill Hunting. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and it's all about a guy who, in the past, he, he'd suffered abuse uh, from his dad. And it's about him working through it with his therapist, brilliantly uh, played by Robin Williams. And in the end, uh, it ends with, with Will driving off. He had to go and see about, his, uh, about a girl. His new life was ahead of him, the past behind. It's great. But there's something really important that goes on in it. For Will Hunting's new beginning to take hold, the old has to be dealt with. He has to, to let it die, in a sense. Those horrific impacts on his life and soul need to be thrown down. The tears kind of have to flow from a very deep place, allowing the new to burst out. And I wonder if there's a, a similar yearning within lots of us for new beginnings. There are moments in our lives when we, we think about it more. You know, January often brings that about in us, doesn't it? New Year's resolutions or, or deciding ins and outs. Or, or perhaps when you left home to start a, a job or head to uni. Um, and there was this desire to make a new name for yourself. To leave what went on at school or at home behind. Or perhaps it's in the midlife crises, wanting something new in our lives. But we know that even as we think the new has begun, we always find our past is still alive, isn't it? Still catching up with us. Our sins, our mistakes, our character flaws. And those we know, we, those, they haven't died as we hoped. So is there really ever such a thing as a new beginning? Well, here in Exodus, we have a story of hope. Hope that there really can be a new beginning, a real one. A change in us that is so profound and glorious that, that as we become Christians, it brings with us eternal life. And it's real and deep because it's on a level way deeper than anything that went on in Goodwill Hunting. And that's because death happens. Something fundamental goes to the grave so that life might emerge. God brings death to bear. Now to see this in Technicolor, we just need to remember the situation the Israelites are in. Because they're in slavery. We know that, don't we? They're in slavery. They've been in Egypt now for 430 years. And for most of those years, they'd experienced harsh and humiliating servitude. Uh, more than that, under the, the dreaded rule of Pharaoh, some of their children had been murdered. And recently, their work levels had been taken to a whole new level, if you remember, with beatings if they failed. This was not home. It was not home geographically, and it was certainly not home in experience. And scripture sees this experience of Israel, this slavery, as a way of understanding the life we live without gods. We've seen that over the, uh, the months, haven't we? Under the, um, but it's under those three ancient enemies it points us to, to sin, the world, and the devil. Jesus he, himself, he calls us slaves to sin, slaves to rejecting God, slaves to choosing and, and wanting what destroys life rather than gives it. It's in here, deep inside us all. And then the devil, he's the one who binds us, accuses us, devours us. 
and the world. Well, that is of our making, and yet a, a world of false gods that also lures us uh, away from even more from what is good. We're, we're rebels of God, and we're slaves to our sin and shame. But God has got a way out. God has got a way out. God has got something wonderful for us. He wants for us to be able to look back and say, the old has gone and the new has begun. But for that to happen, the old has to die. We know the wages of sin are death. We can't just sweep that old life, that past, under the carpet. You know, it's fine, we, we say. We kind of shrug our shoulders, have a stiff upper lip, and just, just try and move on. But God's not like that. For him to bring the new about, there needs to be true justice and restoration. He's a God of holiness. He does things fully and rightly. No stone is left unturned. For the new beginning, the old has to truly and fully die. And Exodus is going to give us extraordinary view on the lengths he goes to to give us that new beginning. This isn't some small-scale effort from him. This is the salvation moment of the Almighty God, and it is breathtaking to watch. And as we look on, we're going to see the depths and the wonders of what that new beginning really looks like. Because firstly, the new beginning comes with the death of the enemy. It comes with the death of the enemy. This is the final plague after all the, the, the previous nine, and it is a mighty act of God. It's under his hand. He, he promises it all in chapter 11, and then it happens. But notice something more going on. Okay, he's not just a general kind of standing back in the home nation, moving troops from a distance. This is God coming truly into the action. 11 verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. I will go out. That I is emphasized. Not someone else, but me, the Lord. If you go to 12 verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. It's emphatic, isn't it? This is the work of the Creator God, the God who had power over the plagues, and he is coming. Like the general leading his army from the front, God is entering the fray. And it is a terrifying moment because he comes in judgment. We've seen this already over the past few weeks, haven't we? His judgment over the gods and their prophets. His terrifying decreation in judgment over Egypt and his people. And so he comes now in a final act. Now rather than just disease and darkness, here it is, death. Death. The powers of Egypt. Pharaoh and his servants. They're slave owners. They're hostage takers actually over who? Well, hostage takers of God's people. God's firstborn son. Well, when God comes to get his beloved, there are consequences for those who stand against him. It's like any hostage rescue, isn't it? The captors pay as the enemy advances. As Pharaoh in his sin and rebellion stands before the God of holiness and justice, no wonder death comes to his household. As Pharaoh took and killed members of God's firstborn son, so God will take the life of his. The old enemy the slave owner, the king who has bound and held them, he is defeated. Verses 29 to 32 of chapter 12, they are a sobering read, aren't they? 
At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. The grief The hatred, the despair that filled Egypt and Pharaoh that night. Here was a defeated king. He could not stop the Lord. He just had to hand over God's people back to him. They're yours. Take them. Go. They're not mine. I have no power over them. You are the sovereign God. And just as Pharaoh... And his rule points us to the rule of sin and the devil. So God's rescue over those is is no less dramatic. God, in the person of his son, enters the fray. He'd sent his messengers. He'd sent his prophets. But now he comes. And he comes to execute a glorious victory over his enemies. And he does it in three stages. It's through his past death and resurrection. This is the hammer blow that so weakens the devil he's as good as dead. As Paul says, in Christ's death on the cross, he says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As Christ died, he denied the devil any of his power. His weapons of accusation were gone. Sin was taken away. No longer was there guilt over his people, nor does the grave have any hold. His threat of death was shattered as Christ rose again. It's like Jesus grabs the chains holding prisoners and shatters them. Those fetters around their feet are broken. And it's through his past death and resurrection, but it's also through his present rule. Having shattered our chains, he then gets to our hearts. His spirit's light scatters the enemy's darkness. Lies are exposed, aren't they? The wickedness of sin is revealed. The dirt and filth, the grime is washed away. People are turned away from what was wrong and wicked. And he's showing darkness for what it is. He's bringing peace, hope, and holiness into people's lives. It is a victory cry. And then finally, it's through his future return. On that final day, he will bring all things under his feet, even death itself. That old serpent will be destroyed in the eternal fire, and sin will be no more. It is a glorious vision of what God does to set his people free. It's the death of the enemy. As Christ rose from the dead, as he sat on the heavenly throne, it was as if the powers of darkness shouted with Pharaoh, up, go out from among my people and serve the Lord as you have said. It is a wonderful thing. The old is gone. It's the death of the enemy. And we must see this as God's work. God comes to rescue. It's God comes to defeat the prison guards, to smash open the gates and rescue us. So much of our world wants uh, wants us to try and rescue ourselves. Finding the true you will set you free. Pursuing your goals, being the hero. It's all me. I have to do it. But God never puts that burden upon us. He knows we can't free ourselves. Slavery doesn't work like that. You never blame a slave for being in their situation. You never blame them for not not escaping. We all know slave owners don't work like that. So God comes. 
What a saviour he is. The old has gone. The death of the enemy. But this glorious act of God coming into Egypt to rescue, well, that creates a problem for God's people and for us. If we want a new beginning, we all know it's not just about getting rid of all that old stuff around us. You know, just because perhaps I've cleaned my house and got a new car and found a new boyfriend, that doesn't deal with the deeper problem myself. The biggest problem I bring with me to my new beginning is me. But God knows this. And once again, he's going to go to great lengths to make sure we can be free. Because not only is there death of the enemy, there's also the death of the lamb. The death of the lamb. There's something very different about this final plague. For the other plagues, when God made a distinction between his people and the Egyptians, it just kind of happened. You know, if you remember the hail, the hail didn't fall on Goshen or or the darkness. It just didn't happen for the Israelites. It it just happened with no explanation or, or instructions for the Israelites. But when God comes personally in power for this final plague, something different is needed. Because if the almighty, holy, and glorious God has appeared, then how will Israel stand? It's not just the enemy that's been rebellious. Sin is in all of us. We're all human beings who fail to love him and to love those around us as we should. If there's to be a new beginning, then somehow justice needs to be done on us. Our sin has to be paid for. There's a price on our head that has to be paid. And so for this final plague, the threat of death actually lingers over everyone. If God is coming, then God's justice will be exacted on all human beings. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Death must come. And so God, in his incomparable grace, provides a substitute. We know this story so well, don't we? But here in the Passover, a lamb is killed. A perfect lamb. And it's just the right amount. It's the right amount for the family. They chose it on the 10th day. They kill it on the night of the 14th. And it's only needed for this night. Any leftovers are to be burnt up. It's exactly what's needed. Food that evening for the family. And then a substitute. Proof of its death, its blood, is to be painted on the doorposts and the lintel of the door of each household. Why? To show justice had been done. A death has happened in every house. In every house that night, a death had to happen. God was coming. But it was either a firstborn child or it was a lamb, a substitute. And that blood, it was a sign, a sign for God and for Israel that the new beginning would only happen if a substitute could die for Israel. Now imagine being a, ch- uh, a firstborn child that evening. You know, you're sitting at the table. Dad's explaining all that w- that's about to happen. You know, God is going to come through this land at midnight and execute his judgment. Every firstborn will die. R- really, Dad? Every firstborn? Well, not here. Why? Because this lamb you're eating, it's died instead. And the blood on our door shows it. Don't you worry. God's got it sorted. And that child could go to sleep easy that night. He was to live. 
And that's what happened. The Lord passed over the houses with the blood, the houses where the death had already happened. He did not strike them, but spared them. It's extraordinary mercy. The verdict of guilty was paid. Now you might be thinking, well, how can a lamb, a simple sheep or goat, take the divine punishment for human sin? You know, how can this be justice? Well, in one sense, it can't. Of course it can't. As the, the writer to the Hebrews said, he said, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But in another sense, it can. And it can because it points to the one who really did. As Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Well, John the Baptist said he, uh, of Jesus, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, on that first Good Friday, as he hung on that cross, as the world went black, he, our representative, died as our substitute. He, our older brother, our head, our king, he died so we don't have to. He faced the wrath of God for us. A death has happened, but it's not our own. He took the bullet. He walked to the gallows instead of us. And this isn't just the death as the end of life. This is death as in facing the the just punishment and eternal wrath of God. This fully paid for it all. The verdict of guilty, it's gone. The wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. When God comes in judgment on that final day, as we stand before him, what do we say to him? I tried. I went to church. I was was pretty good most of the time. No. We say, Jesus Christ, my Passover lamb, died for me. I plead his blood. This is the length God goes to to give us a new beginning with him. Judgment must fall. Death must happen. But it's the death of the lamb of God. And so that old penalty has been paid, the justice has been met, the old has died. And for this to count for us, we simply trust the blood of Christ. We trust that what Jesus did for us, that his death on the cross fully satisfied God's justice. When Christ shouted out, it's finished, we know it's true. You know, it's like that simple trust of of sitting in a chair. We trust it, so we sit in it. Now, we sometimes can get in a few tangled knots about what this trust looks like. And there's a really helpful video I've seen of, uh, recently of Don, Don Carson. He's a teacher in America. And it's just a short clip of a, a longer talk he gives where he uses, gives a, a magnificent few minutes on what faith means, but using the Passover to help. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything he says, but the gist is this. If you imagine two Israelites on that evening of the Passover and both have children, and one of them is pretty nervous. He's wondering, you know, will the blood really work? Can it, can it really save my child from God's justice? And the other asks him, you know, have you, have you killed the lamb and put blood on your door? And he's like, well, of course I have. I'm not, I'm not stupid, but I'm just a bit nervous. And the other one says, well, I'm not nervous. Uh, bring it on. I've painted it too. God's promised it will work, and so I believe it will work. And Don asks the profound question, when God went through that night, which one lost his son? 
And the answer is, of course, neither. Because, this is, I'm quoting, he said, death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or clarity of the faith exercise, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that wonderful? If you're worried this evening, if your faith is strong enough, then can I just say you're looking in the wrong place. The strength of your faith isn't what saves you. It's Jesus Christ, his blood, his death. So if you're looking to him, then you can know you're safe. Trust the blood. Don't trust in how much you trust it, if that makes sense. Christ died so the old verdict of guilty has gone. It's the death of the Lamb. For the new to come, God is bringing death to bear. We've seen the death of the enemy, the death of the Lamb, and lastly, these two deaths lead to one final more. Perhaps it's a surprising one, but it's the death of the old us. The death of the old us. So Israel about to step out of Egypt. The new beginning is coming. It's such a monumental event. God even tells them to change their whole calendar system. Do you spot that? 12 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And after the Passover had happened, 12 verse 41, uh, then uh, at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Isn't that an incredible statement? Just picture it. The whole nation, a nation of slaves, perhaps two million of them, given 600,000 of them are men, leaving Egypt. A mass exodus of people moving out. And so they're leaving slavery behind. They're leaving this country of oppression and death, of misery and woe. They're stepping out on on a journey home. It is a glorious moment. It's like a, a prisoner after years in prison, walking out through the gates and hearing the clank of that final gate behind him. Not shutting him in anymore, but setting him free. Imagine that first step forward, that first step into the new life. That's the step of the Israelites, free, gone, the beginning of the new beginning. And perhaps unlike many ex-prisoners, the Israelites leave with riches to boot. 12 verse 35, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they left, uh, left them Sorry, so that they left them have what they are with what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Here are God's people experiencing its blessing, his blessing. It's a blessed new beginning. In God they're finding life and glory, and they are off to the mountain of God, there to serve him, freed from the old to find purpose and a new life, a life of service of the true and living God. It's a wonderful picture of a new beginning. The beginning we have begun to know in Christ. But that means another death has happened. Because as death comes through Egypt that night, as the enemy was defeated, as the lamb was slain, so the old life of those Israelites died with it. As those Israelites marched out of Egypt with their heads held high as free men and women, so their slavery had died So the years of oppression and hurt was left behind them, had been burnt to ashes with the rest of that lamb. This new beginning, it's a new creation. It's the death of the old us. 
If the penalty had been paid in the Lamb, and the chains of the enemy have been defeated, then there needs to be a new us to go with it. And so here in Exodus, we see that cursed old humanity die. And out of the ashes rises the new free one. That's what happened in the cross of Jesus Christ. As he died on that cross, not only was our punishment taken, not only did Christ die for us, but somehow in him we died too. Our old went. Listen to how Paul puts it in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. Striking language, isn't it? There is the old dying. I have been crucified. Me, my sin, the old life, that life that brought shame and guilt. But he goes on. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The new humanity born in us, well, it's Jesus. It's him. He's the life we now live. By his spirit, we're born as as true images of God, true children of the Father, true servants of the living God. How? Because there's been a death of the old us. The old wood, in a sense, has been burnt away so the new flowers can flourish. The length God goes to to give us a new beginning. Now, that doesn't mean the old, that the past is, is forgotten from our memories, is it? It doesn't mean that the impacts of our sin are just erased in this life. We know we can still live with the consequences of what we've done. But what it does mean That if we are in Christ, God has fundamentally changed us. We are not the same people. We are heading on a different trajectory. Our home is now heaven. Our heads are lifted up. We are children of God. Why? Because of the death of the old us. Now we know at the moment we live in this kind of middle ground, this time between Christ's first coming and his second, this time when our spiritual life has died and been born again, and yet sin we know still rears its head because our bodies have not yet died. And so we struggle, don't we? We still struggle against old patterns of thinking or old ways of behaving. We're still attempted to say that nasty thing or to look at that picture or to drink that extra drink. But knowing that these three deaths have occurred... The death of the enemy, the death of the lamb, the death of the old me, well, that changes our perspective big time. The old power of sin and the devil is broken. The old enemy has been crushed. My guilt has been paid for in the lamb. My old enslaved life is left behind me. It will never again have the final say. To know that the old has died, it's a game changer. We can, we can dine on that truth because it means we don't have to live like we were still in the old. You know, I don't have to succumb to that old temptation each and every time. It's died. I don't have to be greedy or grumpy or a gossip. I don't need to live thinking sin is inevitable. It's beaten. Christ is my king now. And I don't need to live under a burden of guilt. It's gone. As Charles Wesley wrote, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So as we follow Christ, whether you began following him yesterday or years ago, as we follow him, God wants us to see what it took for us to have that new beginning. Not just to fill our heads with information, but so we'd see the new freedom we have. 
God has dealt with it all. A new beginning is real. And it's not just one of those beginnings where actually the old catches up with us in the end. Because although it's a struggle now, there will be a definitive moment when that old completely passes away. When the new will, be, will, will so completely envelop us we can't imagine anything different. It's not a small beginning like trying to head for a new job or a new place. We are actually heading to the new creation. To the place where all things will be made new. To the heavenly city. To that mountain. Where we will worship in glory. In white robes. Worshipping the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. The lamb who has slain for us. To give us that new beginning in him. And so we sing to him. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.